Yeah, we all have this emotional bank account. It's this bank account that lives in the friendship part of our relationship. And here's the secret. Couples that are successful make 20 deposits in that emotional bank account for every one time that they withdraw. And that's just in everyday interactions, in small little things like walking in the door and saying hello and lifting your eyes and gazing, right? 20 to one. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 459 with guest Carol Cullen. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Today, we are rounding out, wiping up the rear, if you will, our last episode on relationships for this particular theme in 2022. Next week, we're jumping into creativity and spirituality episodes, and I cannot wait to introduce you to some of the super smart people I have. But before that, I am just pumped to introduce you to Carol Cullen. She's a therapist that's here in North Carolina, and I specifically wanted to have someone on who was Gottman trained, and I was not going to end this series, this theme, without having someone on who has gotten and trained and I found someone and she's amazing. <laughs> um I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to not spoil it and I'm going to wait until you can can hear this episode. Uh, the only announcement I have for you today is that there are still a handful of spots left for our Daring Way retreat in September, which is the methodology that I'm trained and certified in on the work of uh, the research and work of Dr. Brené Brown. We are talking about shame resilience, and there's so many other components to the Daring Way methodology, but I am going to let you read about it if you want to. AndreaOwen.com slash retreat. Of course, that link is in the show notes if that's easier for you. And we are going to be over there in Asheville in September. I can't wait. It's this gorgeous house, and um, it's going to be catered. All you have to do is get your butt out to Asheville, and I will take care of the rest. AndreaOwen.com slash retreat. All right, let's get into the show. For those of you that are new to Carol, let me tell you a little bit about her. Carol Cullen is a licensed marriage and family therapist, AAMFT clinical supervisor, and public speaker. She is a certified Gottman Method and emotionally focused therapist specializing in working with couples in crisis. She has a group practice in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where she helps couples learn practical tools to reconnect with their partner and create a lasting love. So without further ado, here is Carol. <laughs> Carol, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Talking about relationships. And I do believe that you are you are the very la- last, but certainly not least, <laughs> expert to come on to talk about relationships. And I'm so glad that we got our schedules to work out because 
I specifically wanted to have someone come on who was Gottman trained and certified and who incorporates that in their work because my audience already knows. I did a mini-sode talking just about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse because that was, side note, that was something that was so helpful in my own marriage when we learned about it many, many years ago. And so I, I want to jump in. Before we talk about specific Gottman stuff, can you, let's let's start on a on a positive, on a, on a positive note, what, what makes a relationship, a partnership work? I know oh, that's like a super yeah. broad question, but feel free to talk as much as you want about that. It's been a mystery for so long. And I feel like even I have been fascinated with relationships my whole life. Like as a young girl, I've just always been fascinated with what makes relationships work. I've always watched people, you know, watched, I had two older sisters and um, they were like 10 years older than me. And they were always dating when I was younger, you know, and Mm -hmm. I would watch them, you know, dating. And I was just fascinated by relationships. I've watched my parents and, you know, aunts and uncles and how they connected and communicated and just, just searching to try and understand what was this magic that was happening in relationships, which kind of led me to wanting to be a couples therapist and uh, trying to help other couples find this magic, right? But I never really could understand what exactly was the recipe until I was introduced to John and Julie Gottman's work. Mm-hmm. And gosh, that was probably back in 2004. I went to a conference and they were speaking there. And I was just enamored. I immediately fell in love with the method, the model, the research, because they they seem to have found this recipe for success in relationships that I'm going to share with you in a minute. But it it gave me hope that there was some answers to this mystery of what made a relationship work. I think a lot of people wonder, you know, is it, do you just spend time together? Is it just about sex? Is it just about how we communicate? What's the combination? What's the recipe to make a marriage work, right? And, and they figured it out and they figured it out through 40 years of research yeah. that is yeah proven effective. Right. So that also like had me drawn to it because I'm very much a research numbers, like show me the proof kind of mm-hmm. person. Same. Yeah. So, so I think what we found was that there are seven components to a healthy relationship and they spell this out in one of their books called the seven principles for making marriage work, but I'm going to explain it to you. You ready? Okay. So is this, are we getting into the recipe? Cause I just wrote that down. I'm like, make sure you don't forget Andrea to circle back to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about the recipe. Right okay. Is, okay. Good. This is good. Right. You ready? Perfect. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, the first thing is that they discovered that there were two things that were really important in a relationship, being able to have a really great foundation and friendship in your relationship. And then also being able to manage conflict in your relationship, right? That's like kind of the broad um, description, two things, friendship and managing conflict. And then they break it down from there. So here's the seven things. First thing is building love maps. And a love map is described by the Gottmans as understanding and knowing your partner's internal world. And what that means is spending time asking open-ended questions to learn about their hopes, their dreams their stressors, um, the things that are important to them, the things, their goals, um, the things that they like, the people that are close to them, just really taking the time to understand what is going on inside their internal world, right? And and we do that early in a relationship, right? When we're dating someone, Mm -hmm. don't you just spend so much time talking? Yeah. Asking Mm -hmm. questions. Yeah. It's like going on that first date. You're just, you want to know everything about your partner. You want to learn who they are, what's important to them. And then as we move into more of a committed relationship and the stress of daily life, we stop doing that. Mm -hmm. 
we stop figuring out what's important to our partner and we stop asking. So I think that's one of the, the qualities of a healthy relationship is continuing to ask those questions and continuing to learn who our partner is because we change and grow all the time. So I want to ask you a question about that specifically. So the step mm-hmm. one love map, is that sort of finding out and getting curious about your partner's hopes, dreams, and goals in a committed relationship or in life in general? In life in general. I okay. think that that's, yeah, you you want to know about everything that's important to them about their daily life. And not just in, when you're in a committed relationship, but even when you're dating, it's important to get to know someone because this may be the person that you're going to be with for the rest of your life. And you want to make sure that you're in alignment with your values, your hopes, your dreams, mm-hmm. and figure out if this person is actually a person that is open and transparent with the way that they communicate about their heart. That's an important piece of that whole thing. <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Because not everyone is that open with sharing what's going on in their internal world. And and they probably have really good reasons that they're not open in that way. Sure. They're not trying to just be an asshole. Like it's for like (laughs) self-protection or previous trauma or whatever beliefs they have. That's right. Yeah. We, you know, we do tend to protect ourselves if we've been hurt in the past and maybe we're not even aware that that's what we're doing. Um, it becomes just a habit. We've been doing it so long. So, you know, getting to know someone and see if, is this person open to sharing their love maps with me? That's mm-hmm. an important thing too, is just finding out, are we compatible in that way? Do we want to share at the same level? Okay. That's step one or step the one. first, the first one. Yeah. That's the first one. First component. Okay. Second component, sharing fondness and admiration with your partner. So what this means is a lot of times we think really wonderful things about our partner. Like what a great person they are. They're kind, they're honest, they're loyal. We, we think these things in, in our mind, but we don't verbalize it or express it to our partner on a day-to-day basis. We kind of keep it inside. And again, not intentional, maybe just not what we're used to doing, not used to sharing in that way. There's something vulnerable about, vulnerable about expressing to someone how we feel about them. Maybe there's a possibility of rejection. Maybe there's the possibility that they won't feel the same way about us, right? There's lots of reasons why maybe we don't share that information. But in a healthy relationship, they share this with their partner and they let them know that they are respected, admired, appreciated for the qualities that they have and the person that they are. And they do this regularly. And that lets the other person know that they are of value to you. And and these are the reasons why. I can't tell you how many times in a therapy session... I've had a partner turn to the other one and say, why are you even with me? I don't understand what it is about me that you're sitting here trying to work on this relationship when it's been so hard. Why are you even here? They, mm-hmm. they don't even know. Because their partner has not done that yeah. second one, the sharing, the fondness, admiration, mm-hmm. respect, et cetera. Yes, exactly. They don't even know. And then we do like a a really brief exercise where they share. It's called an I appreciate exercise designed by the Gaumans. And they share five things that they, I mean, five things they find are of value that they appreciate about their partner and give like an example of um, a time when they've seen them exhibit that quality. And I, I mean, people are breaking down and I'm like, what is that like for you? Like, I've never heard that before. I didn't even know that that was something you appreciated about me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the third, the third one. Okay. Third one, turning towards. So 
in a relationship, we are always looking for ways to connect with our partner. There's this underlying um, signal that we send out. Sometimes it's verbal and we actually say what we want. We communicate, I need something, but sometimes Mm -hmm. it's nonverbal. It could be a facial expression, body language, just a a mood or a tone. And those are called bids for connection. Yes. And we're always putting those out there, bids for connection for our partner to respond to us. And turning towards is when your partner answers that bid in a positive way. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, yes, dear, I'm going to do everything you want every time you ask for it. And exactly when you ask for it, Mm -hmm. what it means is I'm going to respond to you in a loving, um, positive way and let you know that I value you. And I recognize that you are trying to make a bid for connection. Can I give you an example? And then you can tell me if this is one of those, like, yeah, what, what you just, what you just mentioned. Yeah. So my husband and I have, we've talked about our therapist has, has told us about this and I find it so extraordinarily helpful. And from what I understand, you can, you know, there's kind of three ways that people respond to bids for connection. They either turn towards, which is what we all want. Yeah. <laughs> they turn, um, they turn away, which is mostly like ignoring mm-hmm. or just not responding at all. And the turning against would be when, like, say, if my husband were to come up behind me and put his arms around me, that's a bit for connection. If I were to shrug him off and not say anything, that would be an example of turning against. Am I right on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a longtime partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I had mentioned to him is I said, I always, and it's not just my, my partner. I do this with my children too, but it's, it's, it's most people that I know and care about when they walk into a room and say hello to me, I always make it a point to look up at them, especially if I'm on my phone, look up at them and smile and tell them hello. Many times enthusiastically, like I want to make it clear that I am happy that I am in their presence always. And I realize, and I'm like, oh, I think part of why I do that is because I want it in return. And it hurts me. Like it feels like it's a little stub in the heart when I don't get it back. And if it's once in a while, if the person is genuinely preoccupied with something, of course, I'm going to give you a break. Like I'm not going to be like, pay attention to me. But if it's, if someone's just like scrolling through their phone, like aimlessly, and they have the opportunity to look up and they don't. So that would be in my book. I look at that as turning away. And so I asked my husband, I'm like, this is something I would really appreciate if you made sure to make it a priority. So when I walk into a room, if you are able, um, and I say, hello, then you acknowledge me. Even if you have seen me a thousand times before, and we've been married for 15 years, like it's still important to me. So is that an example of like a genuine, okay. So I'm not, cause I still a little no, bit, you're I'm not crazy. <laughs> you're not overreacting. Like that is exact. It is, I can't tell you how many times I talk to couples about like greetings. Like it's so important when someone walks into your home that you greet them. Yeah. It means so much to feel welcomed into the home Yeah, and to, to acknowledge someone when they walk in. It's so important. I'm going to tell you a secret. You want to hear a secret? Yes. More than anything okay. else in the world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a secret. So what Gottman found out was that couples that are successful and have healthy relationships, they have, well, all relationships have this, an emotional bank account. Have mm-hmm. you heard that term? Yes, we all I think have so. This, mm-hmm. Yeah. We all have this emotional bank account. It's this bank account that lives in the friendship part of our relationship. And here's the secret. Couples that are successful make 20 deposits in that emotional bank account for every one time that they withdraw. Yes. I think I've read that somewhere, probably on Gottman's website. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a big one. So 20 to one is the ratio for couples that are successful, happy, and healthy. They make 20 deposits for every one withdrawal. And that's just in everyday interactions in small little things like walking in the door and saying hello and lifting your eyes and gazing, right? 20 to one. It feels like a huge number, but it's really small things. It's acknowledgement, acceptance. It's a smile. It could be, you know, brushing against your partner when they walk by. It's mm-hmm. little things yeah. that we don't realize put money in that bank because you know what? We're going to need that bank account to be really full because eventually we're going to mess up and we're going to be scrolling on our phone and not pay attention, or mm-hmm. we're going to say something that hurts our partner because we're human beings and we, we all have flaws. Right. Well, and I think that points to the negativity bias that we have as humans where, because mm-hmm. I think about anytime I've received a bad review on my podcast or one of my books and I'm like heartbroken, but then yeah. stroll past all the rave reviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings me to number four. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
the positive perspective versus the negative perspective. So what you just described is being in the negative perspective. When a couple is in the negative perspective, we tend to see all the negativity in the relationship. And not only do we just see the negative, we actually turn the positive into negative, right? You had maybe one bad review and 20,000 really good ones, Mm -hmm. but you're going to focus on that one negative one. And then maybe you're going to look at some of those positive ones as not so special. When you're in the negative perspective, it can have a really bad effect on your relationship because you're not seeing all the positive things that your partner is doing or all the wonderful things that are happening in your relationship. And you are focusing on the things that just aren't going right. And what we know is that couples that are healthy, happy, satisfied, they live in the positive perspective and they work at staying in the positive perspective. They focus on the things that are going right in the relationship and they create opportunities for positive interaction and share the positive things that they see happening in the relationship with their partner. Um, And they share those appreciations with each other and they turn towards more frequently. They're putting money in that bank. And when the bank account is full, we live in the positive perspective versus when the bank account is empty, we live in the negative perspective. And this is just something that we tend to do as human beings is focus on the negative. Like we're always looking for the corrections that we can make Mm -hmm. and how we can make things better. And so that tends to lead us down a path of living in the negative perspective and couples that are successful, they work at living in the positive perspective. Okay. Mm -hmm. That last part you said was, was kind of my question. So it's not necessarily about, like, I I imagine people are listening to this feeling a little bit overwhelmed of like, oh my God, I have to be nice and kind and polite all the time (laughs) to my partner. I have terrible days. You know, I'm I'm, sometimes I'm at my worst. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it's not about that. It's about Mm -hmm. yes, making a conscious effort to be those things, to turn towards, to Mm -hmm. the share, the fondness that I'm looking at step two, but also clean up any messes that you may have made. So that brings me to number five, which is uh, managing conflict. And you're, what you're describing there is repairs, which is mm-hmm. another secret weapon of couples that- I didn't know this. I, I want to just like oh, pause and yeah. give myself a pat on the back. <laughs> you're doing fantastic. Yeah. You did it's, not know well, where I was it's going probably with probably the, I won't even say years, the decades of my own personal therapy. Um, and also <laughs> all of the people that I've interviewed on this show, like where I'm looking at almost 460 episodes and I've interviewed some smart people. And I also listen to any podcast where John and Julie Gottman have been interviewed. Yeah, I have. Um, and I think I've only actually read one of their books and I will say this, I was married before and it was a very unsuccessful relationship. So a lot of times when I'm you know, trying to do better and which is a lot in in this relationship, both as a partner and as a parent and as a friend, I think about the mistakes that I made and my, my former husband made in the relationship. And I'm like, how could I have done that better? How can we have been better? And it's exactly the things that you're saying. Yeah. And and you're, you definitely have taken everything that you have learned and integrated into who you want to be in your relationship. And it's obvious because you're you're like spot on. You're like, yeah, you got to clean up your messes. That's exactly right. And that's a secret weapon of couples is like, you're going to mess up, right? Like we're Mm -hmm. human. We all have flaws and you know, you're in a relationship, you're taking two people with different backgrounds, personalities, quirks, characteristics, dreams, and you're putting them together and expecting them to share a life together. There's going to be bumps in the road, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to repair when you make a mistake or when things go wrong is what couples that are successful do. They repair all the time. It's so important to just make amends. And that doesn't mean rolling over and giving into your partner all the time. That means like just taking responsibility for your part 
right. um, the part that you contributed to the problem and learning to manage conflict because 69% of the problems you have in your relationship are never going away. Okay. Nobody fall down with that. That's a big, oh that's gosh. a big number, right? So like the problems that you go around and around about with your partner, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Perpetual <sighs> issues is what yeah. you're describing. Yes. You know, you're taking two different people and putting them into this life together and expecting things to mesh well. And they're just not going to, mm-hmm. you know, like just so many th- things can be different. One person might be a saver, the other person, a spender. Um, one person is ex, you know, extroverted. The other person is introverted. There's so many differences we can have, how, how we want to raise children, how we want to, where we want to live in life, our career. There's so many things that make us different. Mm-hmm. We're going to have bumps in the road and we're going to have problems that are perpetual, meaning that they're never going to go away. We're going to always be different in this area. And the key to getting through that is, well, first, finding 69% of problems in a partner that you can live with. That's the first thing. And John Gottman says that. Find a set of problems you can live with first sure. because each set is going to be different. Right. Maybe not like major ideological values differences. Maybe like right. my husband leaves his shoes out and that's one thing I'm just like, all right, if that's going to be it, I can, I can live. That's with that. right. I can live with that. For exactly. Sure. So mm-hmm. finding a set of problems you can live with and then finding ways to be gentle with your partner, forgiving with your partner and repair and own your mistakes when they happen. And, and that's the number five, which is learning to manage conflict better. You know, using a soft startup uh, is going to predict good things in your relationship. And a soft startup means bringing up issues when they happen in a gentle way that doesn't criticize your partner, put them down, belittle them, demoralize them. Those those um, ways of bringing up issues, they it's never going to go well. Mm-hmm. A softened startup predicts better outcomes in conversations. So learning to be gentle with your partner and repair when things go wrong. I have found that that the repairing and taking responsibility for your own stuff is so incredibly vulnerable. Yes. And I remember the first time that I did it when, um, where it was like intentional and (laughs) I will never forget the look on my husband's face when (laughs) I remember remember where we were standing and everything, because it was one of those, like, I felt like time stopped because I think he was expecting me to get defensive Mm -hmm. and, um, and just be hostile. And I, it was like a long pause and I, we were having a disagreement and I said, you're right. Um, this is my stuff. And I reacted, I'm reacting out of, I can't remember what I said, but basically I was reacting out of past hurts. And it was, it was also, I remember the moment when I realized that I was acting childish and, um, had nothing to do with my husband and everything to do with me. And I, the sinking feeling of, oh, I need to fix this. Like I need to admit that I'm being shitty and say, I'm sorry. (laughs) And I was like, oh, the pit in my stomach. And the, he just looked so surprised and also like, wow, there's another way for us to to solve our problems. I think the hardest part was that just that first time. And then after that, it's, it's still uncomfortable and I'd rather not. But it's right. a little it's total, bit easier. I totally <laughs> would rather act like a child. I totally would. It just feels so much more comfortable. <laughs> but yeah, you're it's right. For the like, relationship. It's better for the real. I know we got to just own it. And we, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It, it is so disarming to your partner because they're ready to fight, right? Like they're ready. Right. They're, they're 
expecting you to behave with criticism or defensiveness. And when you actually take responsibility for your part and own it, it's very disarming. And your partner kind of, it's like, there's a, a physical aspect to it where you could just see their body release right, and settle down. And they take like a deep breath and they're like, wow. Okay. And, and, and then they're kind of like, all right, what do I do with that? <laughs> right. Well, and it, I just want to acknowledge, cause it could go sideways. Like I've, I've heard where people have done that and they said, and then my partner held that against me. So that's not okay for your partner to do. I mean, hope, my no. hope is that they accept the apology. They accept the cleanup um, and thank you for it and have gratitude for it. And then you, then the two of you can move forward. Right. And I think when, when that happens, when, you know, you offer a repair by owning your stuff, right. And your partner is not willing to accept it. What we found through the research, what John Gottman found through the research is that that is usually a result of your friendship, uh, being in trouble Mm -hmm. and your bank account being low. So when they found through the research that repairs were not often, um, received when a couple's friendship and their emotional bank account was in distress. Interesting. Yeah, it ties, it all ties together. So you cannot just work on managing conflict by itself. You have to work on managing conflict and building your friendship. They go hand in hand Mm -hmm. because ultimately repairs will not be accepted. You will not be able to see your partner um, in a positive perspective if your friendship is not, is not strong. Okay. Yep. That makes perfect sense. Uh, I lost track of where we are. Are we at, was that number five? That's number five. Okay. Now we're on number six, making life dreams come true and creating shared meaning. And what this talks about is the vision that you have of your life together and how do you create that every day through rituals of connection. So this is about the meaning and the purpose of your life together and building it through your values, your dreams, your goals. And learning how to first communicate what those are with each other. So taking the time to talk about like, what are your hopes and dreams? What do you want your life to look like? Mm -hmm. What path are we on? Are we on the same path together? Did I pick a partner who wants the same things in life that I do? And then part B to that is how do we create that life even now in our day to day? How do we start, you know, stepping up on that ladder one step at a time to get to that, that place that we want to be? Um, later on in life? And are we on the same path? Do we want the same things? So when you think about a couple who maybe has a goal of retiring and having a second home, uh, vacation home, maybe um, uh, on an island um, in the Caribbean, right? That's going to be their vacation home, but they have Uh to start saving for that now. Are they on the same page about finances? Do we want the same things? Or is, is my partner out there spending frivolously and not really paying attention to our dream of this future together, that might send the message that we're not in alignment as a couple. We don't have the same values about things. We don't want the same things. And that can cause a lot of conflict in a relationship. Yeah. So, you know, when couples are in alignment, that's what helps to get them through the rough times day to day, because they have this bigger picture of what their life is going to look like down the road. Mm -hmm. And they know that they're in sync. That's, that's, I love that because my husband and I are, you know, middle age. He just turned 50. I'm 47. And so we've started to have the conversation about, and we have for about at least five years now about what, what, what do you, what we want our retirement to look like. 
we did not have that conversation when we were dating. <laughs> I'm so no, glad we're right. on the same page. <laughs> right. Imagine if you weren't right. Like he wants to sail around the world and you want to have, you know, a mountain house and live in the and woods. Right? That's going to be yeah. a problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's mostly the same. I think we have a little bit of variation, but I think that's one of the things I would tell my children that, that I didn't know mm-hmm. was like, have those come and have, I wrote about this in my last book about money is, is, uh, you know, the best time to have that conversation about, you know, what are your feelings about debt? How are, are you, did you already start investing? Do you have a financial advisor? Like what, what are your feelings about that? Have that like <laughs> right. on the first or second that's date. Right. Like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, I work with a lot of couples, uh, well, they're singles now. So coming out of a relationship and they're single again, and they're starting dating again. And I'm like, you need to have these conversations because maybe you're financially established. You want to date someone that also is conscious about money. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to date someone who is in a lot of debt, who doesn't, you know, take responsibility for their finances. You want to know those questions early, like time is ticking here, right. you know, you don't want to waste 18 months with someone and then find out that you're not compatible in that way. These are conversations that help you to see if you can create um, a life together and create shared meaning, have yes, purpose. And, 100%. Yeah, so important. So what's number seven? Last one is quick and easy, trust and commitment. Okay. You have to have trust in your partner that they are going to ultimately, in, in their actions and their words, be the kind of partner that has your back. Okay. And that just kind of is the general explanation of trust, right? Like I need to know I can count on this person. I can be vulnerable with this person. They're going to have my back hmm. and yeah. commitment. And it's kind of foundational. Yeah. Okay. So those we'll put that, we'll put the link to that book in the, in the show notes. Okay. Well, Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wannabe Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Uh, 
I, we could talk about that all day long, but I, I want to, yeah. before we, before I let you go. So you, I know that when you see clients, you mm-hmm. usually take them through the Gottman method, or at least, you know, touch on it here and there as you're, as you're helping them as a couple, but you also are, um, an emotionally focused therapist. So can you, is that the attachment style? Am I correct in that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Based on attachment. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so that's not from Julie and John Gottman's work, but I'm sure that it's <laughs> very, yeah, it's by very Susan related. Johns. Yeah. It's by Susan, Susan Johnson. That's right. Okay. Yeah. She worked closely with John Gottman and they've done several seminars together and trainings and, and Gottman's work does have a lot of emotionally focused therapy, uh, components to it, mm-hmm. um, within it. Um, but it is different in that she, sh- her theory is based on the idea that we build attachments, obviously in childhood to mm-hmm. our primary caregivers. And that style of attachment is also the kind of attachment that we create with our partners in life and that we reenact some of those old attachments, um, in our current relationships And we try, you know, we're trying to heal ourselves in our relationships. We're trying to have healthy relationships, but some of those old negative patterns that we've created to cope and survive in childhood don't always work in our new relationship with different partners. Mm -hmm. So her model is about healing. I, I think one of the best realizations I ever had, but also difficult to realize was that my partner was not responsible for healing my childhood wounds. And I think, I mean, it's not like I was, was like scrolling through match.com and like, who do (laughs) I think is going to be best for healing my daddy issues? Like, no, (laughs) like not consciously, unconsciously, of course. But, um, when I started, I actually read, um, getting the love you want and by Harv Hendricks, which he, he talks a lot about that. He has his own kind of, you know, theory and the way that he describes it. But, that was a head explosion of just I like, know. oh, and then thinking back on all of my behaviors and like, oh my God. I know you almost want to shut that door. Life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can't unsee it though, but it's yeah. so much freedom. I it, it took me a minute to get to that place of feeling freedom for taking radical responsibility for my own wounds and my own healing. But I'm like, can you, can he just do it for me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do believe that he plays a part, right? Okay. Um, there, there's this part where you have to own your own stuff and right. you have to know what your own stuff is. And yeah, I read that book too. And also my head exploded. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am really messed up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got a lot of trauma from the past. I got a lot of stuff that I've got to work on. And I didn't realize how much is kind of playing out in my relationship. So there's that piece, right? You got to own it. But then there's this this role that your partner plays in teaching you how to create a secure attachment in your relationship. And and that's the part that you do together. And you you know, they're doing it for you, but you're also doing it for them. Like they're not perfect in the relationship. They also bring their own trauma and baggage and parts that need to be healed as well. And they chose us for those same reasons. And mm-hmm. we we fit into their life in um, that same way to create a wholeness in the relationship for both partners. And if we can see ourselves as the key to their healing and them being the key to ours, and we both work together at creating a secure attachment, then it's a beautiful thing to have that kind of a safe, secure bond with another person. It just frees your heart and it gives you such a sense of security confidence, bravery, that you can go out into the world and do just about anything because you have such a strong anchor in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love yeah. that. And I, can I add to that? I've, 
I've heard this before from either clients or friends that they they'll reveal that they have come to the place where they know what their what their triggers are, what their wounds are from from their childhood, and then they'll say, "And my partner knows it," and have found that they use that like mm-hmm. as a way to manipulate. And um, I am like, absolutely not. Like I find mm-hmm. that abusive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that goes, that points to, I think it was like the sixth or seventh key and what you're talking about, about trust. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mm-hmm. think when you, when your partner finds out or you reveal vulnerably, whether it's just in conversations or in therapy, like here are the ways that I feel where I get squirrely, you know, for me, it's like when my husband <laughs> leaves, like he'll get in the car, he hasn't done this in years, but like he would get in the car and leave when we would get in a disagreement because he needed time to process. I took that as he is planning his divorce from me. Like yeah. I should just get online and go look for apartments right now because this mm-hmm. is it. And so I, I, there are people out there who will use that and do that on purpose to their partner. And I'm like, no, I like I find that just, just. So. Yeah, no, that's not, that's totally not okay. Red and flag. I, mm-hmm. It's a red flag, but it also, it makes me wonder, um, like what are their own hurts? Why is it that they do that? What are they protecting? Um, you mean the person who's the perpetrator? Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, maybe it's the therapist to me, like I get really curious about that and maybe that's important for, for the partner to be curious about too. And when you're not in the middle of a fight to have a conversation about that and to, to ask more about why is it that you do that? What is yeah. that? What purpose is that serving for you? Are you protecting something? Do you feel threatened? Why would you do that and help me understand better? Because I want to be a better partner to you too. Yeah. Because sometimes people are just very protective and have really good reasons for doing what they do, even though it hurts the other person. Right. So th- I mean, so it could be like they're wanting that. power and control. It could be yeah. a multitude of reasons. Maybe they've been hurt in the past in that same way. I, you know, I don't know. There's lots of people have lots of reasons why they might do that. Uh, but then there's the flip side of that, that there are some folks that just in, really just want to hurt their partner. And then that's yeah. toxic and that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And you'll need to protect yourself from that. Yeah. Humans are complicated. I just, I always <laughs> yes. come back to that statement at the end of the day yes. and at the end of these kinds of conversations. Before we close up, is there anything, we, there was a lot of information and I love all of it. I know that the people listening were, were taking notes mm-hmm. out there or will re-listen to this when they're not in the car, but is there anything you want to circle back to, to make sure that you say or mention before we close up? Yeah, I think I would just want to say to everyone listening out there that if you're listening to what we're talking about and you're saying, oh gosh, that's not us, we're in really bad shape, there's no hope for us, I, I want to tell you there is hope for you. And yeah. and th- these things that I'm talking about are easy things to do and implement. And if you find that after learning a little bit more about you know Gottman Method or reading the book that you want a little bit of help, like reach out to a Gottman therapist and let them help you and assist you and walk you through this process because I have seen couples make such magnificent turnarounds in their relationship, doing simple things um, in in a short amount of time. And it is if there are two people that are committed and want to work on their relationship, things can change. I've seen it. So don't give up hope. Don't feel like it's the end of the rope if you are not doing these things. Thank you for saying that. I I think um, one of the reasons I love John and Julie Gottman's work is that it's, it's not... I feel like it's such a great entry point to mm-hmm. therapy and talking about, you know, big talk instead of small talk. And they're so, they're just really for the lay person. You know what I mean? Like it's not, yes. 
it's not hard to digest. Of course, it's vulnerable things, but I just I think that they've gotten it down to a science. When I when I hear them on interviews, they just are talking to the everyday person who um, who's in a relationship, and we all are. We all it might not be a romantic one right now, but we're all in relationships, and that's one of the things I love about them and their work. Yeah, they make it really simple and easy mm-hmm. to understand. Anybody can do it. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. And I love they have what's called the magic six hours. And they describe if you just commit six hours to your relationship a week, you can make a difference. Six hours is one hour, you know, less than one hour a day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can take Sundays off. Um, I I love it. (laughs) And you are, you're local to me. You're near me here in North Carolina. And I know that you have um, therapists in your practice that are, that are taking clients and you do some, some group stuff. So tell everyone where they can learn more about you and your services that you provide. Yeah, absolutely. We're, so we're in the Raleigh area and we do have a group practice uh, where we do specifically couples therapy and Gottman method work. And you can find us at my therapist, NC, like North Carolina dot org or on Insta at my therapist NC. Amazing. Carol, thank you so much for being here. I am so glad that we got this to work out because I'm like, I need someone Gottman trained who knows more about it than I do. <laughs> you know <laughs> quite a bit. You anecdotally. Bit. Yeah, oh, thank you I just, so much I for having me. So much. Yeah, yeah. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, listeners, for being here. You know how grateful I am for your time and that you choose to spend it with my guests and me. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now, everyone. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the show. And just a quick reminder that if your company needs a speaker or a trainer, I might be the right person for you. I speak and do keynotes on confidence and resilience for mixed audiences, as well as do trainings on The Daring Way, which is the methodology based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown. So if you think it might be a good fit, hit me up at support at andreaowen.com or head over to my speaking page, andreaowen.com slash speaking. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.